Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. Anyways, what... Good is having the Word of God if you don't use it. I'm serious. You know, you need to have the Word of God. You need to be in it. You need to be learning from it. Um, and a lot of you hold that Word in your hand right now, and there's some, um, some great truths that we find, even this morning in the, that long Scripture reading, on, uh, from two different passages where Christ uh, kind of did business in the temple. So I want to try to stick with the theme all the way into Resurrection Sunday of, of uh, cleanup time. It's cleanup time. Um, Adam just, uh, just told us that tomorrow is uh, spring, which means that brings with it, you know, 70, 80 degree weather tomorrow. So I'm, I'm glad about that. Uh, and if you believe that, I, I do have a, an RV, I'll say, out there. Anyways. Um, but I want to try to do that because I, I want to be prepared for what, God, what I believe God is doing and can do if we'll all be in faith and being in service to him and obedient to him. And that's why I brought up that if we would ask one person to come, uh, each of us would bring one new person in, uh, it would just fill this house with praise for the Lord on the, day, on the Lord's day when he rose from the dead from us. And we could not give him any more blessing than to do that on that day in this church. So that's why I started it that way. And, and I'm going to give you about six messages on, on uh, cleaning, cleaning up for Jesus. Because today, starting tomorrow, spring cleaning starts, right? So, and so starting today, I'm going to attempt to usher in the Resurrection Sunday, six messages on spring cleaning. Um, the truth is this. The Bible is full of references concerning cleaning us up. Full of them. And God wants us clean. Now, clean hygiene, clean hearts, clean thoughts, clean minds. That's all part of what God wants. Uh, but he wants us living clean lives. Uh, but there's a two-part problem that we have in living clean lives and, uh, and concerning spiritual cleanliness. I'm going to give them to you right now. You're going to have a whole series of notes. If you're a writer, a pen ta- uh, note taker, you're going to be get some pages out because it's just one of those things where... Sometimes I, I can't uh, not give you all the truth in order to make the one point that I want to make in the end. But the first albatross we have is this, is that uh, Isaiah 64, 6 says, but we are all as an unclean thing. So in other words, in all of our righteousness, he says, are like filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So what we are is, the first albatross is we are all unclean sinners that need a savior because we have no way to cleanse ourselves or keep ourselves clean enough to be accepted by God, accepted back into heaven. So we need a a cleansing from all of our unrighteousness and every single sin that we have, Jesus Christ fulfills that. He does that for us. But our second albatross is this. We all think we're clean. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the Bible says that all the ways of man are clean in his own eyes. In other words, when we do something and we make a decision, we think we're right. We think we do something. We think we're doing it the right way. If someone else doesn't do it our way, we think they're wrong. Uh, We're quick to be the authority on things. But that's the second albatross. We all think we're clean. We're clean enough for God's approval. And there's not... 
and there's really uh, nothing uh, uh, that we can do to, uh, to change the fact that we're unclean, but we think we're clean, right? That when he does his final inspection, he will let us, will he let us all into heaven just based on our attempts of cleanliness? The answer is a clear no. He will not do that. All the ways of men are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits, it says, to see, you know, who's an accepted spirit, who isn't. So this is why it's so hard for us to admit that our hearts are desperately wicked. Do you understand that? Because we just think we're right, and most things we've got a handle on it. But in reality, we deserve a whipping from God. You know, Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? And I, 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 the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. In Proverbs 20, verse 9, interesting, the verse says there, Who can say, I have made my heart clean and I am pure from sin? I've only, in all my years of witnessing, I've only had one person say, I said, you, you know you're a sinner, right? And they said, no, I've, n- I've never done anything wrong. I actually had someone say that to me. And I said, well, you just sinned just then. Because you have done something wrong. So in Christ, uh, in Christ, first visit to the temple, what did Jesus do? He took them to the woodshed. He literally took them to the woodshed. So has God ever taken you to the woodshed? I would hope you all understand that uh, if he's interested in you and you're interested in him, you're going to be taken to the woodshed at some one point or another. Um, if he hasn't and you think you're saved, I I would really think twice about your own salvation Uh, because he's a father who loves his children and he chastises those he loves. That's what the Bible tells us. So Jesus spent a lot of time in and around the temple. And the reason he did that is because it was his father's house. And we should spend a lot of time in and around our house of God here too. God's people spend a lot of time around God's house. But know this for sure. Jesus will not tolerate a dirty house. He just won't tolerate it. And that's the whole gist of my messages. I want revival to happen. I want it to come. And I want to keep the house of God and the homes of God in our hearts uh, that he has given us as clean as possible so he can do the work that he needs to do here. Now, Christ loved the house of God, but they were making it a den of thieves here, according uh, uh, to Scripture, and a scourge... Now think about this. A scourge is a whip. And <laughs> I want you to notice four things, and then we'll move on to, the, to finish up the message. About this scourge, and I want you to know, uh, Jesus made the scourge. So the first thing is, his actions had a premeditated strategy. It was premeditated. I, I want you to notice in verse 15, it says that when he had made a scourge of small cords, he took time to make an instrument of punishment. Now, wait a minute, you say, that's not my Jesus. He was, he's not that way. That's not the way most people see Jesus. But this is to the devil's advantage, by the way. If they don't see Jesus that way, the devil doesn't have to worry about you too much. The devil does not want you to think of Jesus' way with a whip in his hand. So he wants you to see him as not the one that's angry with sin, but the one that just accepts all sin. The one who removes the whip out of the attacker's hand, not the one who carries the whip in his hand. Nobody wants to see Jesus that way. But this was a premeditated strategy. He actually took the time when, you know, to actually put that, that together and build that as he looked around and seen the temple in disarray. 
So he came knowing what he was going to do. Secondly, I want you to notice his attack was a preemptive strike. Now remember, we're, we're dealing with two different passages here where he's cleaning up the temple. They did not see this coming. In other words, there was no warning. There was no warning, no pleading with them, you know, oh, stop what you're doing, or I'm going to do this. No warning. One shot and you're done. Jesus was not messing around this time, was he? He came knowing what he had to do. There was no mercy, and he was not going to, and he was now going to get it done. And by the way, when he comes again, that's where it's going to be. When he returns again, there's no, there's no warning. We don't know when he's coming. When he comes, it's all over. You don't have any second chances at that point. There's no pleading with you anymore about to say, trust on Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, he had a preordained solution. You see, he came knowing what only he knew and what only he knew he could do. So his actions were founded upon the word of God. And, and he, he, he said they knew better. And we all know better. We do. If we're not saved here this morning, you know better. If you've been in this church just a few times, you know you need to be saved. And, he, uh, and soon, he, uh, he, was, he was, you know, he, he came the first time, soon he's going to come again. But he was their only solution to their sin problem that they had at that time. So he had a preordained solution. It was himself. And then, fourthly, lastly, I want you to see his authority uh, to do what he did. He didn't ask, ask anybody any permission. He just went in there and he cleaned house. So it's a preeminent stand. He was God in the flesh. He had every right to scourge them. He is the authority on every subject, and he is the authority over all of his subjects. That's a good statement to write down, by the way. He is the authority on every subject, and he is the authority over all of his subjects, all of his creation. So he, was, he had every right to do... And he, to this day, has every right to do with us what he wants to do with us, and we have no excuses. So Jesus, with a scourge in his hand, made by him, used by him, gives us a perspective. Most people who think Jesus, uh, who think Jesus is, they, they don't want to see that. They don't even want to hear about that. But Jesus hates sin. Yes, he does. Yes, the truth is he loves the sinner, Yes. That's why he hates sin so much. Because it takes the sinner away from him. It separates that person from himself. So Matthew 21, 8 says there was a, in, in the second part of the passage, right, when the second part of the reading, when he goes into the temple again and sees it in disarray again and throws the tables around, that's not a Jesus anybody wants to see either. But that's what he did. Uh, there was a great multitude. Apparently the multitude had begun to gather since early morning. They were excited, looking for him who had raised Lazarus from the dead. And then uh, John tells us in John 12, 17 through 19, there were so many people that the Pharisees said, the world has gone after him. How many of you know when there are more people to contend with, there's more cleaning up to do? Yes, there is. I told Jen that last week. I said, we had our intent. Are you ready for 200? Because there's going to be more cleaning up to do. How many you know, how many you know when you're a teacher... And you've got six, and all of a sudden you've got 26. There's more work you've got to do. Right? And we can look at it and say, well, that's too much work. You know, I don't know if I want to go. No. Or you can say, thank you, Lord, and bless God that there's more people hearing about you. Uh, so we've got to think about this thing. How many of you know uh, there are more people out there to contend with right now 
right, that need to be cleaned up from their sins and need to be in this church. And there was the crowd of disciples already accompanying him and an enormous crowd of seemingly thousands, right, that they're, they're lining the roadway to catch a view of him. And, it, and by the way, it's estimated at that time that there was a probably two or more million pilgrims gathered in Jerusalem every year for this Passover feast. Thousands upon thousands were strict religionists believing in the coming Jesus as, as a, or the coming um, Jewish Messiah, who I, I'm not sure they believed it was him. I don't know. The commentary, some do, some think they didn't. But the news had spread throughout the city, surrounding area, concerning his miracles, and they were all come to see him. And so think about this. The atmosphere was electric with exciting news that Jesus was coming, and the first thing he does is throw tables. I mean, he just gets in there and just tears it off. The whole thrust of this picture points to thousands rushing out to welcome him when they had heard that he was coming. But look in verse 12, the first thing Jesus did was cleanse the temple. That's the first thing he did. You know, tomorrow's the beginning of spring, right, 2023. And, uh, and I can't even believe it. But soon we'll open windows again. We'll let some fresh air in. And this is the time of the year that we scrub away all the dust and dirt from winter. It's called spring cleaning, right? Well, I want to tell you something. Here, Jesus is performing a little spring cleaning of his own. And, and he's cleansing the temple. And now here we are, 2,000 years later, Jesus has come and gone. The temple's gone, but it has been replaced, okay? So I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians 3, if you would, please. I told you we'd be going to a lot of scripture today, and there'll be a lot of notes and stuff like that. But 1 Corinthians 3, I've got to get there myself. And we're going to read together from verse 9. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. And according to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another buildeth thereupon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Now, keep going. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? Ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Isn't that amazing? Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Just like the temple bowl. Now li listen to me. We should be willing to let him perform a spring cleaning in our temples. We should be willing to have that done. 
Um, Jesus cleaning here in Matthew is a perfect illustration of how he cleanses us up spiritually. And I want it, that's the message that I want to talk to you about this morning. Because what's going to happen today after you preach the word of God is, is uh, the word of God is going to enter into your hearts and minds and souls. It's going to enter in. And as it enters in, there's some things that Jesus does that we see in this cleansing of the temple that happens. And I want to share with you those points. And then we'll give an invitation at the end of the, at the, end of the service to present ourselves before God to be allowed to be cleaned. Right? To be allowed to be cleaned up. The first thing is, a spiritual cleansing comes from, or comes when Christ enters. He has to be allowed to enter. Now, does everybody listen to me? He has to be allowed to enter. When Christ entered Jerusalem, the celebration was overwhelming, right? They were accepting him. They were receiving him into Jerusalem. People were excited, but for the wrong reasons, obviously. You know, they wanted to be delivered from Rome. And they wanted all their sicknesses and, and all the struggles they had to go away. So they wanted to be healed, but had nothing to do with their sins. So Jesus wants to enter our lives just as he entered Jerusalem. He wants to enter into the areas we don't want him to enter in and to see. But we must let him enter so he can do a thorough cleansing. For the lost soul, it's just that you haven't allowed Jesus to enter in because you're not willing to receive him as your Savior. And most of that reason is because you think you're clean enough already to get yourself in heaven. You don't need anybody else, and you don't want anybody holding you accountable to anything. You just want to do what you want to do. But his cleansing process, once you enter in, right, once he comes in, it, it's, uh, it even goes on after you're saved. You're cleansed from your sin as far as uh, the penalty of your sin, but there's still the power of sin, and God needs to still keep us alert to that thing. It makes me think of my grandmother. My grandmother had a several rooms in her house she didn't want anybody to see. And uh, after she died, we knew why. They literally took dump truck loads of junk out of that house to the dump. I mean, it was just plain junk that she had saved all these years. I don't know about you, but I don't know how she even lived in some of those rooms. And sometimes I visited people. I don't know how they even lived in their homes. I got so much stuff packed all over the place. If we're honest with ourselves, there are some areas in our lives we would prefer Jesus not to enter. There are some closets in our hearts we just don't want him to look into. You know why? Because they're so full of worthless junk, we, can't, uh, we get edgy when he gets too close to those areas. But if he doesn't enter, listen to me, we will not see the fullest extent of how big our problem is or how great a blessing our God is. Right? He wants to clean those areas up. How many of you are familiar with the, the now-deceased coach Tom Landry? Everybody remember him? Tremendous coach. He, he has been regarded as, as by many as one of the greatest football coaches of all time. And during his coaching career, he created new formations and methods that, that, that the uh, football teams use to this very day in football. I, I uh, saw him one time. I didn't get to shake his hand, but I got, saw him down one time down in New York City at the, uh, uh, when I went down to the NIT ba uh, basketball tournaments down there. He just come to watch. Many times, many, many times before Tom Landry uh, died, he shared this testimony that changed his life. And it affected me when I read it. He said this, as a youngster, he said, 
if I can just be part of a championship team, I would have everything. Because I remember going through those same thoughts. As a high school player, he said, if I could just play college football. Then as a college football player, he said, if I could just go to professional football. And then as a professional player, he said, if I could just be on a championship team. Tom Landry achieved all those goals. Every accomplishment left me the same way, he said, after the enthusiasm wore off until I met Jesus Christ. Now, isn't it an amazing story? He said, I found out for the first time what Jesus meant when he said, I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. You know why that came? Because he let Jesus in, and the first thing Jesus did was clean up. Was clean up. I remember working for a, a man named Danny Little in the Billy Graham crusade when I first started ministry. He was a professional. He was in, the, I, I believe it was the White Sox. He played baseball. And he told me the story about how he got saved. And then he was telling the story how he was, and I can't remember the MVP ball player at that time that he was friends with in professional ball league that got saved. And the first thing he did was go into his trophy room and just threw all the trophies away. He said because he was living for that, living for that recognition. And I remember doing the same thing when I first got saved. I had a whole bunch of stack of rock records, and I had a room full of trophies from my days in the high school days of football, basketball, and track, you know, and the MVPs and all that stuff. And I can remember when I finally realized the fact that, you know, that, that none of that stuff matters anyway. I just packed it all up and threw it all away. Now, I don't know what you're holding on to or what trophy in your life you think is important to you, but I want to tell you something. We're now living in a spiritual, moral twilight zone. Um, we now have a nation have become our own worst enemy. Do you realize that intelligent people, including some Christians, are now so blinded to this truth uh, they're joining the woke crowd? They're so blinded to the immorality that's out there, they're just... They're just caving to the woke crowd. They have no idea what woke ideology, ideology actually means. You know why? Because they've, they've listened to the woke definition that the world provides. Here it is. Alert to racial prejudice and discrimination or aware of and actively attentive to important facts and issues, especially issues of racial and social justice. Now, if that's what it meant, that, that's not, that doesn't sound that bad, does it? If I've done a little research on this, here's what the woke warriors are blinded to, and it starts with two words that blasphemes God, and those two words are, I am. I am. I am in control of my life. I am accountable to no one but myself, especially not God. So if you listen closely to them in the statements they make, I am surfaces a lot. When they say they are woke, what they're really saying is this. I am more up-to-date than you are because I'm only driven by facts. And the truth is, they're believing lies. I am more open-minded than you are because I'm more aware of social and racial injustices than you are. And that's not true. I am more sensitive and tolerant than you are because you don't have the intellect or sensitivity that I have. I, I, I listen to all of this. This is why they believe a woman's right is more important than a baby's life. This is why they believe sodomy or gender issues is up to the individual, not up to God. 
This is why they believe allowing people to do what they want without judging them is more important than telling them the truth that their sin, that about their sin that, uh, that's found in God's word that will help them out of their sin. So wokeness demonizes everyone who's not in agreement with them. It does. Now, I'm not getting political here. I'm just telling you, we live in a really corrupt society right now. And until this society lets Jesus in, and that's, what, that's our job, right? We're the ones in charge of it. We're the ones Jesus left in charge to tell them how to let Jesus in. And if we go silent, right, the world's just going to go more in-depth in corruption because they're believing all these lies. So first, right, spiritual cleansing comes when Jesus is allowed in. But secondly, spiritual cleansing commences when Christ starts examining things. How many of you remember when you were first asked Jesus to come in and enter your life? I remember that like it was yesterday. And it was a wonderful thing until the examination began. I knew as I was saved, I was excited about being saved, but then all of a sudden the Holy Ghost starts reaching into areas of my life that I knew needed to change. And you all know that if you're saved. You know that happens. Uh, he starts to examine things, and it doesn't get easy. He began to reveal areas of my life that needed cleaning up. I wanted him to clean it up, but boy, I didn't like what I saw when he started to reveal these things to me. You see, uh, you get justified the moment you're saved, but sanctification or straightening out is, the, is, the progress, is progressive. And it goes on through your whole life. Mark says that he entered into the city, he went straight to the heart of the city. Straight to the heart, the temple. And while everyone was celebrating, he was examining things. You know, he was, he was going to clean it up. In fact, Mark says in 11.11 that he looked round about upon all things. So when Jesus enters, he goes straight to the heart of the matter. And that's the heart. In fact, when it comes to sin, the heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart. It always is. He checks everything. Something, sometimes we, we don't like it. We don't want the help. But without the examination, we may never see or address the problem. I have one of the greatest doctors, I think, in the world. I really do. And mostly because he's such a humble man. He's not one of those uh, you know, boastful doctors that, well, I'll figure this out. We got this handled and all that stuff. He's not that way. Uh, here's why. He leaves nothing open for interpretation or assumption. In fact, I, uh, tonight's message is going to be about uh, it's, it's a curse to assume things. But if he doesn't know, what he's going to do is he's going to send me to someone who does know. Or he's going to go back to his medical books and he's going to open it up and he's going to try to re-educate himself on what it is that's happening. He's going to get to the bottom of it. By the way, that's what a good physician does. He doesn't leave anything open for assumption or interpretation. They examine all the facts, and then they check all the data, and they are very thorough, and they're doing it for your own good. But there's a lot of physicians out there who are doing it for their own pocketbook. So why would you expect anything less from Jesus, the, our great physician, to examine, to get in there once he's in and to say, I'm going to bring up some of the stuff that you need to get out of this heart of yours? Sometimes a doctor is not as well-trained in an area, so he sends you to an, a specialist. But our sin specialist is Jesus Christ. Remember, he died a sinner's death even though he did not sin. 
He is the only one that could examine us and reveal to us our sin because he felt the pain of our sin. He understood it according to Hebrews 4.15, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So once he enters in, once you allow him to enter in, he begins, he begins the examination process and, and he exposes or, or reveals, right, or gets to the root of the problems in your life that need to go, and that's the third step. He corrects things, right? A spiritual cleansing corrects. When, and here's how it happens. When Christ starts evicting things, he starts evicting things. You know, after entering into the city and examining things, he got angry, began throwing things out that defiled the temple's holiness. And sometimes, listen to me, everyone, our thinking gets so warped by what we allow in our temples, it just takes us in a whole different direction than Christ wants us to go in. Are anybody familiar with Joe Scarborough, Morning Joe? Yeah. Yeah, here's Morning Joe. Now listen to me, this is, this is, Morning Joe, he's an American television host, attorney, political commentator, former politician who's now the co-host of Morning Joe on NBC, MSNBC. And he's got his wife there, Mika, which I guess he left somebody else for and they got married. I don't know what it's all about, but anyways. He recently blasphemed God by making this spectacularly stupid moronic statement about abortion. This is what he said. He said he was brought up as a Christian, was taught the Bible, and he himself had read the Bible many times, so he knows what the Bible's talking about. And he said that Jesus never said anything about abortion, and even implied those who suggest Jesus was against abortion were heretics. I want to tell everybody, that's warped thinking at its best. At its best. Of course, this is how Satan works. It is. He is not willing to let God evict the lies Satan has embedded into our hearts. Part of the reason is we don't want to be held accountable. We don't do whatever we want to do. To suggest or assume Jesus was uh, pro-choice by not mentioning abortion, especially when abortion was never a word back then, is the most idiotic thing I've ever heard. When people don't want to be held accountable for their selfish actions, they won't evict the lies because they would be held responsible. But Jesus wants to get rid of all those things. They always preface for stupid statements like his, like our illustrious president said when he tried to quote the Constitution from memory. Do you remember that? Oh, my Lord. And he says, you know the thing. I ought to get up here and preach that time, you know. God says, well, well you know the thing. <laughs> we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Do you know why he didn't know? You know why he had to do that? Is because he didn't know the thing. And that's why we do it sometimes. I, I've... I've several times I've gone to somebody's house and approached them about their sin and they've said to me, I've read the Bible, I know what it talks about. 
I said, well, then tell me where this is right in the Bible. I don't need to do that. I've often heard words like these. I, I know the, what the Bible says, and there's nothing in the Bible about that. Like smoking cigarettes. Well, there's nothing in the Bible about that. They didn't have cigarettes back there, by, by the way. But you're right, Dick Tracy. <laughs> but there's plenty about putting bad things in your and bi your body and on your body, in your body, in your mouth, and your eyes and ears. There's plenty of bad things that defiles the temple that you live in. I, I know what the Bible says, and Jesus drank wine, so he's not against alcohol consumption. Brilliant assumption there, Charles Darwin. I can tell you right from the pulpit right now, I, and it'd take me a little time to go through, it'd be a whole other message. I can give you 67 verses in the Bible where God says, it's wrong and it's bad for you. Don't even touch it. Don't even look at it. Or you're going to pay the consequences of it. I remember preaching down, uh, talking to Margaret. I got to talk to the uh, Perry down there. The run. I remember preaching down there one time, and a man came up to me afterwards crying and weeping and just saying, you've got to help me. I go, he says, I lost everything because of alcohol. He said, I lost my wife, who was a beautiful woman. I lost my kids who want nothing to do with me. I lost a business that was doing six figures. I lost it all, he said. And now I'm trying to get some of it back. You know, we do the same thing every time Jesus reveals something to us that needs to go, but we don't want to get rid of it. We just find ways to justify it. Find ways to excuse it. You know, when the Holy Spirit enters into your life, there are some things that have to go. But unless we agree with God and take the whip to ourselves, listen, you're, you're never going to let him evict them out and get them out of your life. Jesus cleanses out uh, cleanses our temple by throwing out anything that is not necessary for righteousness and holiness. Now with that said, anything that does not help grow us into the likeness of Jesus Christ hurts us. And it hopes and it breaks our hopes for the eternity of where we're supposed to be going. Jesus says your life was a your life was a den of iniquity before I entered. And I want to make you a house of prayer. Being confident in this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. This, is, um, this Friday is March 24th. In 1820, this was Fanny Crosby's birthday. And uh, she was the blind hymn writer who wrote more than 8,000 hymns, and, which included Rescue the Perishing, Blessed Assurance, To God Be the Glory. In fact, Ira Sankey, uh, and, uh, the famous D.L. Moody accompanist, once remarked that the success of the Moody-Sankey evangelistic campaigns were due more than any other human factor to the use of Fanny Crosby's hymns. Fanny died in 1915, wrote more hymns than any other hymn writer, that's ever lived. Late in her life, she heard a statement that greatly changed her life, and I'm closing with this. It caused her to write one of the most famous Christian poems ever written called Someday. And it eventually became the famous hymn, Saved by Grace, which I was so excited that it's not a coincidence when Mike picks a hymn that fits in with the message. The statement is this. This is what it was that she 
If each of us is faithful to the grace which is given us by Christ, that same grace which teaches us how to live will also teach us how to die. God's grace was not given to us to give us liberty to sin, but to rather give us liberty not to sin. And the same grace that enters in by the Lord Jesus Christ is the same grace that teaches us how to live for Christ and how to die to self. So when Jesus comes in and begins to clean house, he starts evicting the old nature, starts building a new man in Christ. But when that starts to happen, what usually happens is our pharisaical side just shows up to get in the way. So that brings me to my last point in this room. When Jesus enters your life, that's when the real you is revealed. And the new you begins. So he enters, he examines, he evicts, and then he concludes with exalting himself. The spiritual cleansing concludes when Christ is exalted. Um, the glorious conclusion is he is exalted in your life when you give your life to him. And you allow him to get into the areas that need, he needs to get into. You know, Matthew reminds us that out of the mouth of babes, God ordained praise unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know when he enters in, every little children, every little, all the little children barely able to speak, but they're praising God. I remember the first day I got saved, I was praising him all the way into work that day and tried to lead my, all my workers that worked for me to Christ. And like I said, then, start, then the cleansing process started in my own life. So in closing, listen to me. Perhaps life feels like the bedlam in that courtyard of the temple that was happening that we just read. And if you're saved and, a, and born again child of Christ, he's just doing some cleaning up. That's all he's doing. He's just trying to evict some things that are there that need to be dealt with. Jesus wants to enter into those areas of your life where the cobwebs have started to grow because you haven't dealt with it. You have kept him out far too long, and now he wants to get in there and clean it up. And perhaps you're feeling the bedlam in your heart because you're under conviction about Jesus and your own salvation. You know, I, I can look at faces. I can tell who's convicted, who's listening. I can. I can tell who's more occupied with what they're going to do after church than what, what's happening in church. I can see that in faces. I, in fact, I try to look at every single face when I'm preaching every time I preach because I want them to know that I see you. Right? But not so that you know that I see you, but do you know that Jesus is looking in? He sees every heart here this morning. He knows what needs to be done. You know this because every time you hear the messages about Jesus, you're not sure he has entered him. And this would be the perfect day to do it. For, for, by the, for the grace of God has bring us salvation has appeared to all men. It's appearing to you right now. So has his grace appeared to you this morning? If it has and you're not saved, I can tell you that right now there's a pit in your stomach right now and you're either going to reject it or receive it. You're either going to get mad at me or you're going to get mad at yourself or mad at God. Because you know you're not saved. You don't know that 100% for sure. And he's trying. He's trying to get in. He is trying to enter your heart right now. And you may be watching. 
and you're sitting there thinking, you know, I've been listening in for quite a while, but I'm not even sure I'm saved. I want to tell you something. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. It's appearing to you right now. He wants you saved. And, and that pit in your stomach is, is him trying to enter in. He's trying to get into your heart. So let's all bow our heads for a moment. If you're saved and under conviction, if you're saved uh, and there's things you know because you know your own heart, you know what's going on in your own heart, you just don't know your own heart, uh, then it's time to give those things over to Christ and let him start evicting those things out of your life. If you're unsaved, it's time to admit to Jesus that you're a sinner, no way to save yourself. Your sin debt that you must pay is an eternal death separated from God in hell. And once you understand there, admit that, then you just got to acknowledge that Jesus paid that debt. He's the one that came in, dying in your place on Calvary's cross and rose from the dead to save you from hell and God's wrath and to give you eternal life. And then the last thing to do, once you understand those things, that you're first lost and there's a penalty for your lostness, then the last thing to do is just accept Jesus by faith and the free gift of eternal life that he offers you here today. Just repent of, turn from your sin, and ask him to save you. Because God says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So are you ready to call and settle that with God right now? If you are, now listen to me very carefully, stop putting it off. Stop pushing him off. Let him enter in. Just repent of your unbelief and then accept him in. Call out to him for salvation. Tell him you're ready. He's trying to tell you that his blood covered all of your sins. You're forgiven. And it's all forgotten. You just need to accept him. You need to let him in. You need to open the door and let him come through it. The call or prayer doesn't save you, but it's a way of saying yes to Jesus. Come in. Take over my life. It doesn't really matter how you say it, because it's not the prayer that says you that saves you. It's the Savior that saves you. You just got to cry out to him in the way that you would. Just say, dear Lord Jesus, I know that you're my Savior. I know I have failed you. I know I'm a sinner who needs salvation, someone to save me from my sin. And I'm asking you right now, come into my heart and, and save me. Now with every eye closed and every head bowed, is there anybody today just said yes to Jesus in any way? In other words, if you're saved, you said, yes, Jesus, you come in and clean up those areas that I have kept from you all these years. Is there anybody here who would say that? I, yeah, I see the raised hand. I see it. Yes, amen. Anybody? Yes, yes, all over the place. And if you aren't saved today, is there anybody in here that says it's time? I'm ready. I'm ready to give my life to Christ right now. I'm ready to let him come in and take over my life. Anybody at all by the raised hand who would say that? Be honest with God. I'm just going to say amen. I'm not going to embarrass you. There will be an invitation time in just a second. You can come up and tell me. The altar is going to be open in a minute. No better place to meet with God at the mercy seat. So with all that said, I just want to close in prayer and, and just a, a prayer for you that have raised your hands. And, and then Michael, just finish off a brief invitation. Father, thank you. Um, I saw their hands, but that's not really that important. It's that you saw their hands. And I trust, Lord, that you will do a work now for them. Help them to face it head on, Lord, and to allow you to evict those things 
out of their lives so that they can be more fruitful for you and more faithful to you. And for those that may be here that are unsaved or someone watching on the, on, uh, the social media unsaved, Lord, I pray they, they, make their, they make this day their decision to say, yes, Jesus, come in, take over. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mike, turn it over to you. Need to clean house. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.